Welcome to the Closing Time Podcast for the week of June 2nd, 2019. I am Joe McGuire. She is Abby Bro. Uh, make sure you visit our website, ClosingTimePodcast.com, to get the latest news, listings, and all of our previous podcast episodes. You can keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram. And we offer home video tours, realtor branding videos, aerial shots, live streams, and so much more. Visit ClosingTimePodcast.com. Click on the CMG real estate link. Now, Abby, you know, I do a lot of stuff in addition to being a realtor, I'm a radio and TV personality. I run a broadcasting school. I have my own production company, Clovercrest Media Group. And now that you and I have partnered up in real estate, I, I talk about being a realtor in the sense of being a full-time realtor for the first time in my life. And I've also noticed because of the show and the prep that goes into it, I'm more in tune to the real estate business in general. Mm -hmm. I'm more aware of my local market and so much more. Like because of this show, I have I think I've become a better real estate agent. Good. Like a more informed agent. More informed, right. It's hard though with real estate. I mean, you could say I, I you know, I've been in real estate for twelve years. I've been doing real estate for twelve years. But honestly, like if the last transaction you did was six months ago. You're not a realtor. I don't know. Do you feel that? Or yeah, 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 yeah. That would be bad. That would be bad. But um, there's, <clears throat> excuse me. There's other ways to think about it. Is what we're doing now. What you're starting to do is learning about not only the market but the industry as a whole, uh, which is really big. You know, you got to learn about that. You have to build a foundation. Obviously, no um, ins and outs of the process of being a realtor, but you have to work in and on the business. And um, that's definitely what you're doing right now. And I'm so excited. I am too. So yeah. thank you for that. I am all inspired now. Right. So let's get a look at some real estate news. There's a, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, digital notary startup Notarize uh, announced that it's facilitated more than a billion dollars in online real estate transactions. Unbelievable. This company made a billion dollars in their first 18 months it took them four weeks to make their second billion dollars wow five thousand online closings notarize arranges video calls with notaries who can go over uh notary documents with customers uh, they've also expanded into other services such as online refinancing uh and offers products geared towards real estate agents loan officers title agents and others I mean, 18 months to hit a billion dollars as a startup, and then four weeks later, they make their second billion dollars. That is... I mean, talk about having a company that fills a need. Yes. You know what I mean? This is huge. And we've talked about um, other companies like this before, like with kind of like Venmoing, earnest money deposits. There's a need for this. And this is awesome. I'm loving it. I wonder I wonder if there's if this is agents sort of behind this or or you know I I this is such a great idea. You're right. right. When you when you're going to start up a business, if you can fill a major area of need mm -hmm. in the lives of professionals, boy, do you have uh literally a billion dollar idea. Right. So that is uh that is very cool. Have you used that at all? No. Yeah, definitely something to look into if you haven't. Looks uh, like it's very easy to operate. I was checking it out. Now, global luxury real estate and lifestyle brand Angle and Volkers launched a new consolidated website that provides a, a suite of new backend tools for its agents, as well as advanced search capabilities for consumers. Everybody's trying to get into like this 
super service for your for your clients where where you want people to really be able to deep dive uh, their their new site, it's evrealestate.com, is designed for users all across the North American area based on research showing consumer value neighborhoods uh, as much as specific properties. The company's new site showcases every market and neighborhood in America that Engel and Volker serves. Mm-hmm. It allows consumers to refine their home searches based on prices, schools, commute times, and walkability. Uh, the new website also includes an array of features for agents, including a strategy-oriented business dashboard, a content management system, lead generation tools, and customer relationship management capabilities, uh, among some other things. Good for them. Yeah. I mean, all the major brokerages are, are doing this right now, KW being you know one of them as well. And um, it seems like they have a lot to offer their agents. People kind of want to, this is how I'm thinking at least um brokerages want to steer buyers and sellers from zillow they want to get them off zillow realtor.com all those websites and steer them only onto their own websites i had worked for a real estate agency that had an in-house mortgage company Mm -hmm. and they wanted everything pushed through that because the money that they were making on the insurance yeah on the insurance or oh yeah. yeah i mean everybody wants to be a full service real estate company or, right. or as much as possible. If there's six different ends on, on a transaction here, you want to get on as many of them as you possibly can. And if you have the capabilities. Right. And if where... it offers their agents a CRM in the back end, that's awesome. I mean, that's really what people want, um, you know, a way to easily communicate with their clients, keep up on them, see what houses they're looking at. Um, so then they can, you know, slyly be like, oh, I saw you were looking at 123 Main Street. You want to go take a look at it? It's available. Or like, oh, I just looked at it here. You know, these are my thoughts. Um, that's huge. You know, I mean, um, I've been using HomeSnap, which is the Connecticut MLS. Yeah, I love HomeSnap. I don't use it as a CRM. I have my own. I actually use Follow Up Boss for my CRM. I, I'm kind of really digging it. Um, <clears throat> but um, I just downloaded that the other day. Follow Up Boss? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You told me to do it. You were like, check it out. I yeah, went all check in. It out. Yeah. So that's what I use for my CRM. And then I do use HomeSnap. So, because I do have the capabilities in that um, to see what my clients are looking at. And then we, they kind of easily send me messages and we can keep track that way. It works for me. Um, but this is really robust. I would actually be into this. Yeah. yeah. It, it certainly sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, you know, you know, uh, one of the podcasts I actually host is a missing persons podcast. Mm-hmm. I saw this, uh, this story it was on, uh, is that Inman.com, but uh, Dr. Phil's been uh, putting the spotlight on an 11 year old unsolved murder of a real estate agent in Canada. Uh, back in 2008, 24 year old. Lindsay Buziak uh, was found dead in Vancouver Island, British Columbia. Police investigated, never, never solved the case. Uh, mm-hmm. According to police reports at the time, two suspects led this agent to an open house. Uh, the evidence was not there, though, to lead charges or an arrest. Now, her dad came on Dr. Phil, uh, sort of hoping to get the word out to get justice for his daughter. And over the past few years, agent safety has become a pretty big topic yeah. in this industry due to the high visibility of the work. Uh, just last month, Iowa police launched a website asking for help solving the 2011 murder of Ashley Oakland, uh, an agent 
uh, who was uh, in this past December, 54 year old Orlando Martinez was found dead in a car outside of a home. Oh my gosh, I remember that. Yeah, I that mean, was terrible. you know, it's this is this can be a scary business, and yeah. and I, I don't think there's you know maybe people don't take it seriously enough at times. Uh, NAR recommends agents refrain from showing homes after dark and advises that they'll meet clients in an office prior to showings. I know Sanam's our broker always talks about yeah. meeting the clients at the office. Let's meet, then we'll go out and do it. Yeah. Uh, and NAR also recommends telling a colleague or a friend uh, if you are going to go off to show houses by yourself. And you know what um, is also a recommendation to have like um, a code word. So if you're out at a showing and you got like the heebie-jeebies, whether you know the guy or the girl or you're the client or whatever, or, you know, you haven't met him before, it doesn't matter. You, you can get heebie-jeebies at any time. Um, you call your broker or whoever your partner is oh. and you'd be like, Joe, can you get me the red file? Gotcha. Red file is the code word. Yeah, yeah. And then you know you need help. You know, a few weeks ago when we had Kelly Turner for Norcom Mortgage on mm -hmm. here, uh, you guys talked about, you kind of briefly touched on it, you know, being a woman and and being more aware of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I, by the end of the show, I felt stupid because I thought, God, I, I would never even think twice about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and that's stupid, too, because, I mean, obviously men can be victims as well, but it is something we should all be aware of and it is something we should talk about and there should be code. That's a great idea. Yeah, you don't go into closets. You don't go into basements. You don't park your car in the driveway so you can always have an escape. You don't wear heels. Um, those are the big things that I follow on every showing, no matter if it's the 10th showing with this person or the first, you know? Um, what's else? They also See, I'm not even thinking about that. No. I would think after the first showing, yep, I trust that person. No. Good to go. Of you course never, not. Then also, you kind of have like a relationship with them. So maybe they get a little bit, you know, closer to you and think like, you, you never know. True. This is the general public. And, um, you know, it's just part of life, really, to be honest. And then honestly, whether you're a male or female, if you have to learn how to... Um, uh, conduct yourself in, in a situation where there might be a need to either run or stand up for yourself. So you have to really learn how to like square your shoulders, make a stand, either be forceful with your language if you feel like you're being, you know, in a situation or honestly just get out of there. When my kids were like 10 and 12, I sent them to uh, six weeks of Krav Maga training. My sister-in-law is like some sort of like crazy, awesome you know, Krav Maga woman person. Yeah, I'll tell you something. You could take like four Krav Maga. Uh, you'll you'll be able to stop anybody, right? You definitely will. You'll, yeah, and you'll even be able to put an eye out if, you, if you're doing it right. If you look at her, but the skills she learned from that class—that's awesome that you did that. That's great. Well, you know, I guess I'm more aware because they're my daughters, and I yeah. think more about their safety than I would just in general. But yeah, I mean, and it's. You know, I, I also like I hate that. I hear that a lot where people are like, well, women should just take self-defense classes. And it's like, well, we could also just stop attacking them yeah. would be the other uh, route to you take. You know what, but... though? Remember seven years ago, we started eating each other <laughs> as like a general population? Yes. Yeah. I, that, I put that on Facebook and it reminded me the other day that that was happening around this time seven years ago. And I'm like, oh, I'm so happy we stopped doing that. Yes. That was a bad trend. That was weird, right? We nipped that one in the bud. Right. Uh, back to the real estate police blotter. Uh, Toronto police say a man is accused of posing as a real estate agent to steal jewelry from an open house. The victims, a couple whose identity is being held private, had an open house 
at their home in Oakville, Ontario, just, just an hour west of Toronto. A 29-year-old man learned about the open house through an online ad. He pretended to be an agent, came inside, stole $30,000 worth of jewelry from an upstairs bedroom. He's now been charged with one count of uh, unlawful dwelling an account of theft of over $5,000. Uh, police say this is probably not his only theft. They assume uh, there's been other incidents that this is probably the guy uh, over the years. Obviously, numerous criminals have tried to pose as real estate agents. I remember this was a big thing in New York City a few years ago where people were just, they get all dressed up, walk in there like they were agents, dressed all fancy, and they were yeah. robbing penthouses all over New York City. That's crazy. Yeah, it's you know, when you're when you're the listing agent and you're going to have an open house at a home, mm-hmm. you got to have a checklist of things to tell your clients yeah. that need to, like there should be no reason why thirty thousand dollars worth of jewelry is tucked into a drawer. Yeah, it's an open house. Mm-hmm. People can open drawers. Right. And if somebody's there looking to find stuff in drawers, they're going to find it. Yeah. And I've I've heard agents talk about this. There have been things that, you know, not obviously $30,000 is is crazy, you know? Oh, but, yeah. For, for jewelry, but there are other things like uh facial um like face masks and things like that that are like maybe like $100 a jar. My wife And people take that, you My know? wife's agent when she sold her townhouse to yeah. move to Connecticut to be with me, uh <laughs> her DVD box set of Sex in the City got taken oh during her open gosh. house. And she was really upset. It was like a hundred bucks. And yeah. she said to her agent, she's like, You owe me for that. And the agent was like, Um, yeah, no, I don't. Oof. Yeah, that's a tough situation. Yeah, I think I would have eaten the hundred bucks. Probably, I would have. But, um, the thing, yeah, so what do agents do? Do they only allow one buyer in at a time? People are waiting outside. Perhaps they can look outside in the backyard first. Um, do you have other agents? Like I had a um, an old Victorian home that I was selling in Hartford, and I knew that there was a lot of nook and crannies, and I could not watch people. So what I did was I set up a, t- a table outside, um, and I said, uh, you know, can you please sign in? Also, can you please acknowledge that this home, uh, you may be, you know, under surveillance. Um, Yeah, so there might be audio or video of you taken. Um, So they had to acknowledge that, and then also I had an agent on an agent on the for the first floor. In addition to me, um, Sanama broker was on the the second floor, and then a loan officer was on the third floor. Smart. So right. So that those are options that you can do. um, In addition to warning the the seller that all iPads, anything of value needs to be taken from the home, especially prescriptions. Oh, again, right? Huge. Not even something you might even that wouldn't jump off the page at you, but yes, yeah, that's a big one because they'll just grab anything. They may not know what it is, and it's something you need. You know, and this is unfortunate because again, it's not like it's the overwhelming majority of the public that you're worried about. It's mm-hmm. generally people who go there, and it's not like they're just. It's not a crime of opportunity in most of these cases. It seems right. these are sort of planned out. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. You're you're going up against an an organized criminal. You better be organized on your end as well. Yes. It's the only way to stop it. I like that. Uh, There's this other story that we're going to talk about that Mm. uh, one of the comments, you can maybe hit it at the end of this story. Yeah, uh, because it was was great. Uh, The new owners of a famed 106-year-old Frank Lloyd Wright cottage filed for a permit to raise the structure just a couple weeks after they bought it. It's known locally as the Booth Cottage. 
It was built in 1913 as temporary housing for Wright's personal attorney. Now, despite its history and its connection to America's most beloved architect, the cottage has been noted on several lists of properties at risk for demolition due to the large plot of land in which the 1,700-square-foot structure sits. So it's a small cottage on a big piece of land. They want to put a big house there. Mm -hmm. The new owners paid $550,000. Two weeks later, they filed a permit asking the city to tear down the property. The landmark Illinois group is not happy about that. Mm-hmm. Now, the couple hasn't completed the process the process just yet. It's a 180-day review. The home status is an honorary landmark, but it can be challenged. The homeowners have nothing to say uh, publicly at this point. The director of advocacy at Landmarks Illinois said that even though the home is not as beautiful as Summer Wright's more well-known works, it's still a piece of local history and it needs to be protected. Mm-hmm. So if you're selling property like this that has like a historical tie, obviously to, you know, someone like Frank Lloyd Wright, a famous designer, it's really a piece of art, you know? Yeah. Um, So when you're selling this, you have to kind of have protections in place. And it sounds like um, the sellers weren't really interested in, um, you know, putting that in the contract. Um, and we they just talked, wanted to sell. We I mean, talked last week about, you know, Mark Zuckerberg bought a piece of property on a lake in Michigan. Yeah. And then bought the lot next to it. Right. Just so nobody else would live there. When again, you're right. I mean, when you when they should have put protections in on this property. I mean, those people didn't buy it because they care about Frank Lloyd Wright. Yeah. Or the history of the house. They liked the property. Right. And that's why they did it. And it's unfortunate, but, you know, look, nothing lasts forever. That's a good point. And honestly, looking at the pictures, oh, it's a little, it's very outdated. I'm in love with Frank Lloyd Wright, but I, I would say that this is not one of his best works. And I think it's admittedly, that's what it wasn't meant to be like a crazy, awesome house. Like, no, it was, it was temporary just housing. Con- it was temporary yeah. housing, right. So the comment on this article was from an agent who subscribes to Inman and it says, um, why would this be sent to all subscribers? It's an average house <laughs> with nothing memorable. This is the worst content I have ever seen from Inman. <laughs> he might be right. You know, know, Inman, you do good work. Yeah. I would I would wear that as a badge right there. Yeah. If that's the worst they ever did is a story about a cottage from Frank, Frank Lloyd Wright. I think they're doing okay. Right. I'm, I'm for the homeowners doing what they need to do. Yes, we're all for the homeowners. Why would anybody be against that? Yeah. That's just crazy. Meanwhile, Keller Williams Realty Chesterfield, a Missouri-based Keller Williams franchise, fined $10,000, and its associate broker, Rebecca Wright Rose, was placed on two years probation for numerous instances of unlicensed real estate activity and other state regulatory violations. Now, you and I kind of deep dive this story, and the reason I mentioned the broker's name is because Miss Rose really owned this thing, and... Um. Yeah, she really seemed like she owned this and, and sort of took this uh, as a way to improve her Keller Williams office, which is great because there were 34 charges, according to the settlement agreement, many which had multiple instances. Now, among them, uh, this company operates under the legal name Profit Forward LLC. They paid brokers commissions to unlicensed individuals, mm-hmm. advertised an expired listing. They had a licensee act as a dual agent without getting approval from the seller. Whoa. Yikes. 
uh, had an individual agent website listed for agents that no longer had licenses. And these are getting worse. Yeah. Uh, had licensees failed to follow through the terms of agreements with sellers, including, and this is pretty bad, listing properties for a different price than what was agreed upon. That's crazy. And they failed to notify the commission of opening a new office. So... I, I, you know, I'm not trying to pick on Keller Williams and then there's there's just a lot of them, but it seems like um, almost weekly there's a Keller Williams office that's doing some some bad stuff or at least running afoul of of, you know, real estate commissions. And at least that are on that are having nationwide attention. We don't know what other brokerages. are. Oh, yeah, sure. Exactly. It could be everywhere. But here's the thing. This office closes nearly three thousand transactions per year. Um Possibly they should know better, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you know what? That's a busy office. Things fall through the cracks, which is unfortunate, but we are only humans. And that's why it's so important to have processes um, and everything in, in place. So, you know, you have your checklist of paperwork. You know that you really need to get the dual agency uh, um, approved by all you know parties. You need to. Yeah. Perhaps you signed your uh, listing paperwork and you say you're going to list the house at 300,000. Everyone's cool with it. And then last second, the seller's like, listen, let's try 320 to test the market. But the agent possibly didn't get that um, noted in in the paperwork. This I'm creating excuses. Sure. Well, a lot of this does seem like it could just be housekeeping yeah like you know advertising expired listing that's crazy (laughs) why would you do that why would you do that i'm not trying to sell an expired listing it's expired so and again as i mentioned with with rebecca reich rose and this is sort of stood out to me was she just really in the in the in the article really seemed to own it yeah she She, did she talked about it like you know we we're learning our lesson this isn't what we wanted obviously and, and we're gonna get fined for it but you, you when when you mess up, when you make any mistake in life, especially in business, though, you learn from those mistakes and it can make you a better person. I think sometimes when you're having too much success, you almost start to coast. Yeah. I think every now and again, a little bump in the road goes a long way towards, you know, kind of getting you refocused. So, yeah, this is a serious business. You are doing um you're, you're working with, the, you know, obviously the general public. You need to have your ducks in a row. Um, you're, you're taking care of serious transactions. Um, but again, these kind of are, if you dive deep into it, minimal offenses that stacked up um, like they have turned into a really big problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, we've been talking about CoreLogic and that big lawsuit. Bit of a surprise this week. Arnold Pinkston, who's the chief legal counsel of analytics and software firm CoreLogic, is leaving the company just as it grapples with an inquiry from the U.S. Justice Department into its popular multiple listing software platform and how MLS members use it. Pinkston's resignation, however, was not the result of any disagreements with CoreLogic, according to a U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission document that was filed by the publicly traded company this past week. Instead, the document adds, Pinkston has simply accepted another professional opportunity. The document also states that Pinkston's departure from CoreLogic will be finalized on June 14th. Now, last week, the U.S. Department of Justice demanded a bevy of information from CoreLogic regarding its MLS data. The letter is part of a civil investigation being pursued under antitrust laws, though CoreLogic said at the time that it is not the focus of the inquiry. I wonder what is then? It's who CoreLogic is feeding the information to. Right, right, right. Those are the people that are in, under investigation. It's sort of like with Facebook. 
feeding your information to third parties. Yeah. And not all third parties are supposed to be getting your information. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get sold to the highest bidder. Yeah. And it doesn't get sold without your permission. It's like I got, I was on Instagram the other day and I had an ad for a service that I never knew of before. I think it, I don't even know what it was. And it just said, happy birthday, Abby. <laughs> it was on my Instagram feed. It's like a sponsored ad. And my birthday is like in two days. And it knew that. And it knew my name. That's, did it spell it right? Yes. That's even better. <laughs> that is even, right? Like, that's so strange. Like, who who is this? How did you get this? Who is your daddy? What does he do? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I am at the point now where probably three to four times a week, somebody tells me something that happened yeah, where yeah. something popped up where they were just kind of thinking about it. Yeah. And that's, I guess it's getting a little bit scary. Uh. But, you know, here's the thing I've noticed, and I always kind of calm people down. Like, it always ends up being something you want. And I know it's weird that it may and maybe you did sort of wish it into into an ad that popped up on your phone or whatever. But mm. it's not the worst thing in the world if things you want just show up, in just your show up. Yeah. yeah, I almost kind of prefer that. I don't know how they're doing it. If they're like deep dived into my personals, I don't dig it. If they're able to track kind of what I'm looking at and they're like, did you want this? And I'm yeah. like, is that, is that, is that I where I was going with That's all this? That's what I want. Ultimately, you're right. I do want that. And it's $300. Yes. And we take PayPal. Yes. <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime. I've got Prime. This is great. Yeah. But like, um, I don't know. Maybe they're getting into like reading our minds. You got to figure that's coming. Am I wrong? How could it that not is coming. Be? And then then you can't lie. You can't. What, what's that going to be like? Oh, my goodness. Mm, the, future. the future. It's going to be awesome. Uh, the, the last topic here of today, I thought this was awesome. Uh, again, this was, this was an admin and you could find all the links to this at, uh, um, this was so cool. Cause I have a document that like kind of goes through this, but yeah. there's some things that I had missed and this is awesome. Go to closing time You can check out this entire list, but it's 10 things that sellers are going to ask you about appraisals. And obviously we know the appraisal process has changed over the last few years. So let's sort of deep dive into this. Here are 10 questions you could get. And sort of what you might want to tell your clients. First and foremost, what does an appraiser do? It's a great question. Who do they work for? The appraiser is hired by the mortgage lender to conduct an appraisal for the purposes of making the loan. They are essentially the eyes and the ears of the bank. Now, they're supposed to be an unbiased and objective. Uh, they will attempt to validate the contract sales price of the property for the lender who's making the loan. Now, this means they do a physical visit to the property they measure the heated and cool living space. They take pictures. They do a visual inspection of both inside and outside uh, with respect to the lot, the location view, and more. Their walkthrough and documentation of the property serves as the basis for the research to find three to six active under contract and sold comparable sales that are in the immediate neighborhood as close to the subject property as possible. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of times when we do our own CMAs, we are finding homes from all over town. Yeah. The appraisal's looking really more into your specific neighborhood right? to determine price. So it's a bit of a different process than that general CMA that we do. And it's really um, hyper-focused on the home as itself, not necessarily the fact that it has, um, you know, a stone walkway and like a hot tub and like, you know, a built-in 
fire pit in the backyard. Right. Some things that are nice, but may not add value. Yeah. And it's surprising what does and what doesn't add value, yeah. unfortunately. But all right. So number two, what information should an appraiser have? Here's what the appraiser needs. An MLS sheet, tax record, any floor plan or survey documents, as well as a list of improvements and upgrades that have been done to the home. I've also um, been asked to bring a copy of the contract because they need to know the terms of the contract if there's any seller concessions or anything like that. True that. That's yeah. a good one. There you go. We can add that to the list when we post this. Number three, uh, how will our updates impact the appraisal? Now, it's important for a seller to understand not everything that they've put into the home, mm -hmm. no matter how extensive or exquisite uh, it is, it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to have that impact on the appraiser. It, mm -hmm. And it's critical to remember that an appraiser will never give value equivalent to the cost of each component in a home. Never. Certain things will not add any extra value at all, such as a newer roof or home air conditioner and ventilation system. They'll help the home sell faster and probably for a better price, but that won't impact the value of your home because those are things you're supposed to have. Mm -hmm. Now, pool screens, epoxy flooring, cabinets in the garage, while pricey to install, will not inherently increase the value of your home as well. Right. If you have questions about home improvements that you're looking to make and whether or not that will increase the value, you're going to want to talk to a realtor. Ask your realtor, like, does will, will this help? Because we can find that out for you, or we could, in most cases, probably tell you what will or will not actually help mm -hmm. uh, with, with the overall value of your home. Number four, how will other home sales factor in? Again, it's important to remember that the appraisal is defined as an art. This is not an exact science. There's there's no particular formula for how these work. Therefore, comparable properties that one appraiser uses, somebody else might use different ones. So don't expect an appraiser to necessarily include properties that are in the next neighborhood or, or an area that sold for higher prices to justify the seller's contract sales price if there are lower price comparables that are suitable right in that immediate neighborhood. So these are all really important things to know. Again, when we're doing a CMA, you know, a, a CMA has a big wide range of between here and here. When you're doing an appraisal, it's a very specific number. Mm -hmm. And again, that's why. Number five, what does the appraised value compare to market value? So the market might want to pay more for a home. Yeah. But when there's financing involved. You yeah. Can't. Yeah. It's rare that a buyer will want to pay over the appraised value. Yeah. Uh, when there's a shortfall between contract sales price and appraised value, no matter how exceptionalized that home is, there's less confidence about the purchase. So if the home is in an area that tends to have a lot of first time or, or FHA or VA buyers, for example, and there are concessions given by sellers such as closing costs, the appraised value might come in less. Mm. So, yeah. And in that case, the buyer... Well, you, obviously, perhaps the the best solution would be to renegotiate the the sales price. Um, but if that can't be done, then the buyer would either you know have to back out or ultimately bring cash to the closing, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, that brings us to number six. What if the appraisal oh, comes yikes. in less than the contract <laughs> sales price? You're right. Whoops. All right. You know, in 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 some cases, yeah. I mean, ultimately, you may have to walk away if you if you can't yeah. agree and again this is why it's important well nobody wants to overpay for a home right 
Look, you, what you have here is a seller who wants the maximum and a seller who wants that thing as dirt cheap as possible. Yeah. And ultimately, where you end up has a lot to do with the appraisal. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, I mean, really more now than ever before. And there there was a time, and I, I'm not trying to speak out of turn here, but there was a time where if the bank wasn't sure... They'd send out the right guy to make sure it was right where it needed to be. And because of the housing crisis and the way things kind of kind of turned out with all that, they had to change the rules to make sure that we weren't just sort of manipulating the market just to get these sales done. Just to get yeah another transaction. Right. So now that's why. And we'll kind of get into the next question. How is an appraiser chosen? Again, as I mentioned, you could just call your guy. And send him out. No. Now the answer is who chooses an appraiser? Nobody. Mm -hmm. The assigned appraiser is typically in a pool of appraisers that come up in a rotation by a third-party appraisal management company that the lender uses to put everyone at arm's length in the transaction. The appraiser is randomly assigned and no one can request a particular person. Mm -hmm. I actually asked a friend of mine, a mortgage guy, for the name of an appraiser for a client who was asking and he didn't want to give me a name. Really? Yeah. He's like, you really shouldn't contact an appraiser directly at this point. Call your mortgage company or your bank. They'll just send somebody out. That's That's how it goes. That's yeah. They don't even really want you talking to the appraiser Mm -hmm. at all. That's not, again, it's kind of supposed to be an unbiased, subjective look at things and if you're calling somebody yeah and you know them and you're catching a rap with them and you're trying to you're trying to sway them to rule more favorably for you that really jeopardizes the entire integrity of and that's the appraisal an important protection for the consumer yeah and again at the end of the day they're doing you a favor too yeah because if they were to appraise it higher and oh. another appraiser shows up and comes in lower right that's what it is right 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 number eight are there bad appraisers? Well, just like real estate agents, some are better than others. Let's put it to you like that and we'll leave We're it there. Human. Correct. And that's the big thing. Some appraisers are more intuitive, some are more detailed, they have a better grasp on the market, and so those are the ones you would prefer. Others are more reasonable, some give a little more leeway with comparables that they choose. Whereas others are more conservative. So no two appraisers see things the same way, just like real estate agents. So are there bad ones? I suppose if you're not getting what you want, you think they're bad. But at the end of the day, they're trying to determine a value to secure the loan. Right. By the bank. Uh, Again, this past January in a snowstorm, I was painting a shed Mm -hmm. to appease an appraiser. Yeah. Well, I had was an never FHA done buy. that before. It was FHA. Yeah, and I get it. it. I get it. I'm totally down. I am totally okay with it. I get it. I understand it. I, I mean, I don't think the guy was being unreasonable at all. No. I just wish it wasn't January and <laughs> snowing. Can you talk to the appraiser? That is question number nine. As I just mentioned, appraisers are supposed to remain neutral. So beyond providing information, or answering any questions that they might have about the property, neither the agents involved in the transaction, the buyer, and the seller, or the lender cannot influence this guy in any way. Agents cannot ask them what they plan to bring the value in at ahead of time, 
which is something that I remember doing when I bought my home in 2012. Really? Yes. Because I knew the guy. And again, I wasn't trying to influence him, but I was like, you know where we're at, right? But I think I gave him the contract. Well, they have the contract. Yeah, they yeah. have the contract. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to nail that down, and that's wrong, and I didn't know that at the time. Uh, as a matter of practicality, some advisors might give agents a heads up that they are having difficulty bringing the value in at the contract sales price, at which point they might ask for assistance with comparables. I've done that. And there's nothing wrong with that. If they're, if they're legit struggling yeah. and, and they reach out, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, they ask questions when I talk to them. They ask sometimes, you know, you know, this was on the market. How fast did it, you know, for only a week? Like, have you gotten other offer, offers? How many? Somebody asked me how many open houses I've done. Really? Yeah. I mean, I answer any question they, they want. I, I try to make their job as easy as possible. Obviously, you can't influence them. Either way, but you can make it easy on them. You can show up on time. <laughs> you can have yes. all the documentation that they're asking for. You can make sure that the house is presentable. You can put pets away. Anything that would be any sort of an obstacle for them, you'll want to want to remove. I would bet more often than not, if yeah. you go out of your way to make their job easier, I would bet statistically speaking, there's probably a slightly higher yeah. appraisal price in that situation. I've done no scientific research yeah. on this, but if I had to guess, yeah, I would say that's probably the At case. the bare minimum, show up on time with a smile. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, number 10 uh, of the questions that your sellers are going to ask about an appraisal. What keeps appraisers accountable? Which is a really good question. Now, just like real estate agents, an appraiser's license is on the line with their work each and every time they go out there. Appraisers have been under scrutiny like never before, especially in the post-real estate market crash era. Mm -hmm. They can't pull numbers out of thin air, despite the fact that <laughs> I hear both agents and, and buyers say that. Uh, everything they put on an appraisal report has to be verifiable, justifiable, and has to have an explanation Underwriters review the appraisal reports when they're completed for accuracy and might scrutinize what was done on the report and even ask the appraiser for more info in certain cases. Yep. So they are they, everyone's being overseen here and uh, the, the process. And again, this is this is what I've been saying pretty much from the start of this podcast. And this is why I love stuff like this, Abby, mm -hmm. because. These are questions that your seller might have. Yeah. And they might never even ask them. They They're wondering. No they want to know. They'd love to know all these questions. And they may ask some of them and you might not even know how to answer them. And so sometimes and honestly, banks deal with this in different ways. So I recently have a buyer that um, ordered the appraisal and it was all automatic. And what happened was it was a bank um, and it was their bank that they've been doing business with. And the loan officer, I, you know, I've sent a couple emails. We have a relationship, but she just went ahead and did an automatic appraisal order and how it happened was the the buyer just entered in her information so the appraiser reached out to the buyer directly and said i would like to schedule this appraisal when would you like it monday at 9 a.m and so she thought she did her job the buyer and so all of a sudden you know the, the my buyer's like oh i set up the appraisal for 9 a.m on monday i'm like oh no you didn't <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so I, she finally gave me the contact information. I talked to the appraiser and he's like, this happens all the time with this bank. So oh. you really have to like, so now I know this is my learning experience. Thank God it's just this. But um, now I know to, you know, make sure that doesn't happen going forward. 
Oh, good. I'm glad you shared that with everybody. Yeah. A little something everybody everybody might have learned today. Right. Closingtimepodcast.com. You can go there for all the latest real estate news, listings, our previous podcast episodes, and so much more. Make sure you keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram. We also offer home video tours, real estate branding videos, live streams, area shots, and more. Visit ClosingTimePodcast.com. Click on the CMG Real Estate link. Well, that's going to do it for this week. For Abby Bro, I'm Joe McGuire. Thank you so much for listening to the Closing Time Podcast.